0: Alright, well this morning, uh, we are stepping into, uh, just a, a three week mini series I'm calling United. It's something I feel like God has really raised up in this season. And honestly, it's going to lead us very well into our fall campaign, which we're calling Seek First, as in Seek First the Kingdom from Matthew chapter 6. And, and so this morning, I want to kind of give you a heads up. This morning, all I'm doing is, all I'm doing is this. I'm just kind of setting the table for the upcoming weeks. Okay. So I'm not doing some deep dive into anything. I'm not going to do deep dive even theologically into anything. We're just going to kind of set the table. Around this idea of being a united people, the heart of God for unity, right? We're going to kind of dive into it this morning, name some pieces. And then we're going to look at First Corinthians chapter ten at the very excuse me, first Corinthians one verse ten at the end of our morning, and then we're going to build for the next several weeks on that one verse. Okay? So I invite you, I, I I I ask that you would come back over the upcoming weeks. I'm not going to be here next week. Jeremy Morris from Stonebridge Church is going to be here uh next Sunday. AK is like, I'm so glad some of my dad's are going to be here. Great. So good job, AK. But no, seriously, Jeremy's great. We love hearing Jeremy speak he's going to be here because I'm moving we're moving AK into Georgia Tech next weekend. And so, yes, you can pray for us in that and pray for her. She only makes great decisions by God's grace. No, so we're just praying. So we'll, we'll be gone next week. And so we'll speak for the following weeks after that. I'll be finishing up the last couple of weeks on United, and it should be. Hopefully it's good. Now, I will say, and I want to be honest with you, as I um, as in preparation for this message, like there was this kind of lingering feeling that I had that I wasn't really naming, wasn't really in tune with, but I woke up this morning and was walking downstairs to our basement just to kind of, to, to kind of refresh myself on the message for this morning and, and it was the same feeling I'd been having for really the entire week and so uh, I just kind of literally stopped on the way down in the basement and just stopped and said, Lord, what, what is this? And I felt like God spoke into the moment and said, Steve, I'm allowing you to feel the disinterest and disconnect that the body of Christ has around the things of my kingdom. And I felt the weight of that in the moment. I felt the weight of it around even this message. The idea of, as we listen this morning, maybe even a level of disinterest around the topic of being a united people In unity in the body of Christ, I don't put that on you in a sense of like, so feel shame at the very beginning. I'm not saying that, right? That's not what I'm saying. All I'm getting at is, I feel like in the context, I don't know about you, but maybe the other word is not just disinterest, but distraction. Maybe it's a better word. That we live life with everything going on around us and all the, all the talking heads and all these pieces over here of unknowns and pieces of information around and misinformation with so many topics. right? And we just live our life as a dis- distracted people, which raises up a level of disinterest because to be interested seemingly costs us too much. It's too hard. It's too difficult. If that makes any sense. And so this morning, I feel like I was speaking, saying in this, Steve, I, I, I want to do a work. So I began to pray for all of us, including myself, that God, you would just tune us into your voice. God, you would that you would remove distraction, that you would raise interest into the things of your kingdom, the things that you're passionate about, Jesus, which I believe one of those things is the church being a united bride prepared for his second coming. So unity and being united speaks to God's preparation of us as the bride when he comes again. That's who we are. It's this language from the Bible. As we spend eternity with him. So with that in mind, how many of you, I'm changing gears, how many of you are really, really, or at least partially into the Olympics this summer? Summer Olympics, yeah, 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 thank you. There are more hands. There are more hands in this service. I like y'all a lot more, okay? I mean, other services are like, meh. I'm like, y'all are losers. It's the Olympics, right? I mean, how many of you are, like, DVRing stuff from all the different ch- There you go, right there, right there, right there. Yeah, 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 right there. Thank you for being honest, man. It's like I'm flipping around finding stuff, right? It's so great. I'm not DVRing, but I'm, like, flipping around. I love it. I've been totally engaged, right? I'm literally every single day, I'm, like, making sure the Americans still have the most medals, by God's grace. Right. I'm making sure that we're winning. I'm making. Listen, I'm just sitting like I'm sitting in my mind. I'm chanting USA. I mean, this just one of those deals. Right. I love the Olympics because there's something so galvanizing historically about the Olympics, in the United States of America right you can throw out common names like mary lou Retton and michael phelps over here right or michael johnson the runners like all these names are flojo man she's running like you know all these names right this year we got caleb dressel right and that felix girl man who just has all these medals It's so beautiful right to watch and to see and it's one of those things it doesn't really matter right doesn't really matter if you like sports doesn't really matter if you like judo or table tennis or archery if you turn to the channel and it comes on, you're emotionally invested because you're a good American, right? I mean, literally, I, the judo came on the other day. I'm like, okay, God, just bless the American, right? I mean, I get so emotionally invested immediately, right, as a good American who loves the USA, right? I'm like, where's my flag just rape it around me while I'm watching this, right? It's like I love the Olympics. I love the galvanizing nature. For those of you who were born during the miracle on ice, as we beat the Russians, right? And it was so great in 1980, the Winter Olympics. Like, was like, like you were standing around, you like, oh, my gosh, did you see last night? Oh, my gosh, People are weeping watching the Olympics because they just love America. And I love it because we live in a season, right, that that's just feels good and it feels right to be a unified people around something as silly as hitting a little plastic ball over a little bitty net and people going, yeah, at the top of their lungs to nobody, right? I mean, it's just amazing. The sense of unity, honestly, if I'm fully honest, it's actually my favorite thing about the Olympics. I mean, I like—I love it. I love the sense of unity. Unity is something that we all intuitively understand, isn't it? Like, when you have it in a group or with a people, like, you, you know what it feels like. And you know when you step into a family gathering, a work gathering, a friend gathering where there's not unity, and it's like you can cut it with a knife, right? It's so thick, the disunity and discord. Like, we all feel it. We all intuitively understand it. We completely get it, right? And so with that in mind, thinking about this beauty of unity, I wonder if most of you would agree that this just feels like a very disunified time in history among human beings. Like I would talk about in the context of, yes, our nation, but I would also talk about it in the context in my personal conviction that this is maybe one of the most disunified stages ...of life we've ever known as the church, the people of God, the bride of Christ. That's just my opinion. You can differ. As I've prayed and talked to pastors of mine from literally from like Washington, D.C. to San Diego and everywhere in between... ...as I've taken time to dug into scripture, I'm fully convicted and I'm praying that you will be after these four weeks are over... ...that the hope of our country lies in two places... The hope of our country as it relates to being a unified people, right, represents, it's defined by two places. And I want you to write these down, meditate on, pray through them. It's this, the person of Jesus and the united church. Now I'm not trying to be hyper spiritual here. Don't hear me say that. I I recognize there are lots of other things that go on in our world through relationships and through politics and things that we'll never see behind closed doors and honestly just uh, 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 around our police system. I know there are lots of things that are required for our for our, for for our nation to have hope in our nation, but ultimately as a follower of Christ. I believe that not only our nation, but every nation in our world, right? I believe that, the, that, that, that our hope lies in the person of Jesus, and I believe personally it lands and lies with a united church. Again, these are my personal convictions. I'm going to share, say this real quick this morning. A lot of the things I'm speaking this morning are simply my convictions and my opinions, and I'm going to give you homework. Everybody say Homework. I'm giving you homework at the end of our time I'm asking you to do this week. So that you don't just believe me, but that you take time at home doing work with Jesus to land on your own convictions and on your own opinions and maybe them being the same thing that I have opinions on, okay? So that's what I'm getting at. You're going to do homework to see if you agree with my opinions, okay? So this is my opinion that the hope of our country lies in two places, the person of Jesus and the United Church, right? I believe these pieces represent the greatest hope for our nation, Now, the great comfort in naming the person of Jesus is this. Jesus is just always going to do Jesus, isn't he? Like, Jesus is just always going to do Jesus. Jesus is always going to be faithful. Jesus is always going to be kind. Jesus is, listen, this is a kingdom piece we're going to be diving into in the fall, and it's super important in understanding how I view the gospel of Jesus, okay? I believe that in Genesis 3... When sin entered the world, it broke a lot of things. Would you all agree with that? It broke a lot of things. So the good news of Jesus is that everything that was broken when sin entered the world through the cross, and the good news, he wants to redeem all of those things and make what's broken whole. So that salvation of the lost... Primary peace, those who are separated from God, it is social structures that are broken that he wants to bring justice to and redeem them. Don't get lost in the political word of social justice, please. Everyone pay attention. Please don't buy into this peace around social justice as being, oh, this political thing. No, there are social structures that the enemy stole And God now wants to redeem those pieces because everything that's been stolen by the enemy, he wants to redeem. So he's invested. Jesus will do Jesus, and he will invest into all of these pieces that are broken and people who are hurting, right? God's going to love the poor. He's going to set people free spiritually. He's going to invest into their lives. He's going to do these things. It's just who he is. Jesus can't help but be Jesus. And that fills me with confidence that I know at least one part of what's required for our nation to thrive and survive is Jesus doing Jesus. And he always does it, always has, and always will. There's confidence I have in that. But the second part I'm not quite as confident in, which is the united church. Or the church being united, right? Like, let's be honest, we're not always united, are we? We're not always united infighting spiritual judgment comparison and rivalries our own personal insecurities that cause us to break relationship with people maybe spiritual abuse from a leader which is just rampant today in the church maybe it's just our pure laziness of not being willing to invest time into the things that God actually cares about maybe it's just we've given ourselves over to sin which makes us completely useless in the body of Christ when sin has taken over our lives and you all no, the list could go on and on and on and on and on. I was going to give you a task this morning, but I just recognize you can just I can just say it. I was going to say to you, hey, take 15 seconds and write five things down that are causing disunity and division in the church today. Go and you go. Oh, boom, boom, boom. I did it in 10 seconds. How fast can you do it? Right No. Like, it took me 10 seconds to write down at least five things. It took me 15 seconds or 30 seconds to write down about 10 things. Like, we're living in this divided stage around some of these things that I've said and other things. I feel as if disunity in the season seems to be at an all-time high. Or is it just me? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you all have differing opinions, and you can figure that out for yourselves, Right? Like I said in the last few months and speaking with all my church buddies locally and nationwide, it seems to be clear that people in church are more divided than ever before. I would encourage any, any podcast listeners in here, like just listen to podcasts, if you have not listened to the rise and fall of Mars Hill Church put about by Christianity today, it's a must listen in the next month. The rise and fall of Mars Hill Church, the story of Mars Hill and Mark Driscoll, and how spiritual abuse, right, has literally pushed away thousands of people from the gospel of Jesus. It's like an expression and a picture of disunity and division that has hurt and wounded people. Literally taken pastors who were abused and they're no longer in ministry and some of them have denied even Jesus himself. Here's how I really want to start this morning, the issue of disunity in the church. Here's a question. It's going to be on the screen. Do you know who really loses when disunity wins? Do you know who really loses when disunity wins? Hear this prayer of Jesus from John chapter 17. And I want you to tell me what the answer is to that question. You get to do the, we get to do the work yourself. I'm going to read the story. I'm going to read the verse that story and read the verses. And then you're going to answer the question Do you know who really loses when disunity wins? John seventeen, starting at verse 20, says this. Jesus is praying as I pray also, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one Father just as you were in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. So in this prayer, Jesus is uniquely, let's leave it up there, Jesus is uniquely praying for you. It's the only time in scripture that we see Jesus praying for those who would come after his ascension. It's the only time in scripture we see Jesus praying specifically for you and praying for me who believe through the message of the apostles on down through the generations, right? So he's praying for us, right? He's praying that all of us may be united. We would have unity, that we would be one, just like the Father and Jesus have unity. That's crazy talk right there. Not diving into it this morning, but recognize that's powerful, right? May they also be enough so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Therefore, with this unity and being united in mind, he says in verse 23 then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Therefore, what's the answer to the question? Who really loses when disunity wins? Everyone, but specifically those who don't know Jesus. And don't believe in the gospel. It is everyone. Because it wounds those who are actually in disunity. It wounds the body of Christ who are to be unified, living in factions. But the people it impacts most as it relates to the world are those who don't know Jesus. And you all get it. Because people, listen, people don't like to give themselves to a movement full of hypocrites. The heart of these verses tells us that our unity, being united, it leads to the world's belief in the gospel of the story of Jesus coming to earth as God, living as a human being, dying and being resurrected and sending us his spirit so that we could be empowered then to walk in unity. Which in turn means that our disunity will keep the world from believing the gospel of Jesus. You have to take something to its then logical conclusion, right? If our unity leads to the world's belief in the gospel and we are disunified, then the opposite of the logical, logical response means that our disunity will then keep the world from believing in the gospel of Jesus. All of you know somebody who would use that language, the church is the reason they don't believe in Jesus. People who claim to be Christ followers are the reason they're not following Jesus today. So to make this personal, this next question I want to ask And I'm going to ask it without shame. So I don't want to be, lead you to shame. I don't want you to, I don't want you to like all of a sudden feel guilty that you're not doing something right. I just want you to be honest and recognize, oh, I, I, maybe I have not been doing this. Maybe I need to give more time to this, right? So, so no shame. Everybody say, no shame. No shame right here, okay? I'm just going to ask, you're going to be honest and then see where it leads us, right? Here's the question. How important Is it to you to fight for unity in the body of Christ? On an everyday basis, how often do you think about fighting? For unity in the body of Christ, and the words that you use, and the way that you communicate, the way that you live your life—how important is it? How much do you think about fighting for unity, pursuing unity in the body of Christ? Let me throw out some just some questions that I think through on a regular basis. This is not on the screen. These are just literally—I'm going to say this to you. These, this is a true statement right here. These questions I'm about to ask are naturally, naturally what I've given myself to in every single conversation I've had. And, and I've, I've failed sometimes, but I try to give myself to, and I'm in conversation with you, these are the conversations that I'm having in my own mind as I relate to you. Whether it's on the softball field, whether it's at Vintage, whether it's at your house hanging out, whether it's me beating you in cornhole and something that we're doing right by God's grace, right? All about the Olympics and competition, right? No, whatever I'm doing when I'm having conversations, these are the things that I think about. And I wonder if you do too. Because these are some of the questions you have to begin processing and thinking through if you're going to produce and build unity with people who are in your life. Here we go. How often do you think about unity specifically in conversations with people with differing convictions and differing beliefs? Like, I don't mean um, Jesus isn't never, I'm not talking about like massive eternal issues. I just mean... Things that aren't required for salvation. What I mean by that is like the non-negotiable. I'm, I'm talking like a person who has differing opinions on, I mean, think about churches, divisions that have happened over stupid things like literally the color of the carpet people leave the church. I mean, like, things in your life that aren't necessarily super important, like political political issues really aren't that important, to be honest with you, because they're not eternal in nature, some of them, most of them, right? How we view finances, all this kind of stuff, right? Like, things that necessarily aren't eternal. Like, are you able to get in this conversation saying, what's more important to me is the relationship than my own personal, like, belief structure and convictions around non-eternal issues, right? How often do you tell yourself, Speak the truth in love today, Steve, so you don't needlessly hurt and offend people. Like y'all may not know this about me, how many of you have ever taken the DISC personality test? DISC, D-I-S-C, okay. The dis-personality test is broken down into D, which is a dominant personality, and I, which is influential and very relational, and then S and C, I have no idea because that's not who I am and I don't care. Just kidding. I just have no idea what they stand for, but I know I'm bad at all of them. And so here's the point. I am a 95% on a dominant personality. Randall's 100. We have a good time. I'm a 100% on influencing. And it goes like this, and then it goes like this, to this for the C. I seriously, something about being administrative, something about getting stuff done in life, right? Something about being responsible. Let's just hang out, right? And so, so throughout my life, you know what I would do all the way through college? I would dominate people to the point that I would wound them and they would stay away and run from me. Literally, I would dominate. I'd be this they would start talking and I would know the truth. So I would like do this kind of raised up. I would use my big voice like this. I would get louder and lean forward and they would go like this because there's no S&C in me and I would dominate them with my influence and my ability to communicate and I'd make them feel stupid and I would win. I wonder if people are not following Jesus because I just wasn't willing to speak the truth in love. Remember when Jesus, about Jesus, a smoldering wick he would not snuff out, a bruised reed he wouldn't break. It was defined by his tenderness in the way that he relates to the ones that he loves. Who does he love? Everybody. How often do you tell yourself to be careful how you act or talk to make sure you don't cause little ones to stumble? Again, be honest. How important is it to you? Do you have broken relationships in the last year? Have you owned up that you're partly to blame? Are there people who are not following Jesus today because of you? There's no shame in that. It's we gotta be honest. Literally this uh, yesterday, Sarah doesn't even know this. I was um she's uh She's she's back as on her softball team at Mount Perrin. <clears throat> right? <laughs> Defending state champ. We may or may not have beaten North Cobb 9, nothing that I run ruled them, I'm just saying. Sarah went two for three. I'm just saying. She got a great coach named Greg. Greg, man, he loves the girls. He's a great coach. He's so invested. So I sent him a text yesterday thanked him for the way that he was loving on our girls, investing into them, focusing on them competing well, but ultimately focusing on them becoming great women. And I wrote something else just about, hey, got a lot of drama on this team around parents. Sorry about the North Cobb reference over here. I apologize, right? <laughs> He's a coach at North, Ball, North Cobb. Excuse me. He's literally on the softball team for junior the JV. <laughs> And just speaking facts and just speaking honestly, all right guys now. Third part of my text, this is what I said. I'm going to read it to you. As a parent, coaches would appreciate this. As a parent, I commit to give you the benefit of the doubt. to never speak behind your back and I commit to support you, to commit to support the other coaches. And the team to the best of my ability. And I wrote back and said, I think every parent owes you that. You know who else I try to do this for? Every single person I meet, including you. I commit to you to give you the benefit of the doubt and your struggles. I commit to never, and I've committed all the way along to Jesus, never speak behind your back, and I've committed to support you. And everybody else, and your spouse, and your kids, and your life, I think you all know I love your kids like my own. I think you deserve that. But I'll be honest with you, every church leader, including myself, deserves that back from you. Not to make it about me, I'm saying we owe that to one another, because that's what it means to be united. Part of the reason with Greg, and the reason I put this, and it was honestly to, because it's very easy to talk about coaches. But Greg knows that I'm a pastor. But more importantly, he knows that I love Jesus. And when I don't live up to this, do you know whose reputation it smears? Jesus. So again, how much do we care about Unity. So how important is unity in general? It's like, in general, like, well, Steve, how important is unity, right? How important is, I got to do, like, bold letters, the is, right, to kind of like an italic, to, like, how important is unity? I'm convicted, and this is my opinion, that... Again, you have your own conviction and opinions around this, and we can, do, we can like have differing opinions and still be united in this, right? It's a beautiful thing. Like, we can have differing opinions, but I'm convicted personally of the unity in the church. I believe it's a primary issue at the heart of Jesus' desire for the body of Christ. I think that unity is—I is, think is number one on His heart for the body of Christ. I think we can at least all agree it's top five. Maybe we can agree at least in top ten. But the top ten—the top ten things on Jesus' heart for the body of Christ are things that we should be passionate about, believe in, and give ourselves to. Unity, I believe, is the top of His list in my personal opinion. Let's look back at John 17 where he's praying for you, he's praying for you, he's praying for you, this is about you. You should look at it and go, oh, Jesus is praying for me, which means it's about me. It's convicting to see in verse 21 that Jesus prays that all of us may be one In the same way that Jesus and his father are one, that's mysterious, that's profound. I don't really know fully what it means, but it's a big deal. Because I don't know if Barrett and I are one like Jesus and the father are one. But man, I hope we get there because that's the desire and that's what Jesus is saying. Barrett just winked at me. Yeah, got that going, right? We don't know much of what Jesus prayed in the New Testament. Have you ever noticed that? We don't actually know much of what Jesus prayed in the New Testament. We get the Lord's Prayer from Luke chapter 11. It's great, right? And we get this prayer and everything else. And we get prayers that he prayed for deliverance for people. But as it relates to praying the things that were on his heart, those were like kind of just between he and the Father, and we don't get those, but we do get John 17, And when we see this, then it means it carries a lot of weight. If it's the only prayer that we see Jesus pray, and it's about us, then it carries a lot of weight to it. Because seemingly Jesus made sure that happened on purpose. Because maybe he just knew, maybe in his foreknowledge and wisdom, that a day was coming when disunity wrought by the work of the enemy would be the primary thing, keeping the church impotent and not actually making a difference with the gospel of Jesus. I'm just saying. That's my opinion. But it's powerful to know that Jesus only prayed the will of God. He is God. He only prayed the will of the Father. Therefore, it seems very important that the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in the New Testament is, is a prayer about unity and being united. So that's why I think it's that important. How important is it? I think it's of utmost importance. This morning, I'm going to end by looking at a scripture. We're going to be looking at, again, I already told you, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. It's going to be kind of our foundation, launching verse the next three weeks. But this morning, I want to single out, just in light of everything we've been talking about, this is one verse, and I'm going to kind of give you just some pieces, and I'm going to give you your homework. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, like I'm appealing to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine, like I'm looking at Robert right here. I'm just looking at the right side of the room right now. see Robert right here, and I looked at Robert and said, Dude, I'm coming to you. And I'm pleading with you in the power and the name of Jesus. And Robert goes, man, that's a little weighty, don't you think there, (laughs) Steve-O, right? That's what Paul's doing. I appeal to you in the name of Jesus that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and in thought. That is huge. He's appealing to them. In fact, the whole of 1 Corinthians and the whole of 2 Corinthians ultimately builds itself around this issue going on in the Corinthian church. The thing that you need to know to sum up kind of what's happening in the, in the church from verses 4 through 9 is that in Corinthian church was greatly loved and greatly blessed by God. So much so in verse 5 it says, in him, Jesus, You have been enriched in every way. Like, there is such a movement of God in the Corinthian church that Paul's aware it's unique to every church. You're enriched in every way. This is crazy, right? This spoke of the, uh, and some of the things you see in verses 4 through 9 is they have been enriched with a unique ability to speak about and defend the gospel. It's unique to every other church. They have this unique, intimate knowledge of knowing Jesus. It's, it's just set apart. It's different than some of the other churches. And we see they have a unique expression of the full array of every spiritual gift. He spends he spends whole chapters, right, speaking about the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues and the words of knowledge and discernment and, and, and prophecy. I mean, like nowhere, like we see nowhere else in the Bible. I mean, they're experiencing some unbelievably profound things around the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The church in Corinth, I mean, if we were sitting here today, we'd go, oh my gosh, Look what God is doing over there. We'd be amazed. We want to. We'd go visit them and see what's happening. However, like I believe is happening in our church today, as in like Big C Church. They had allowed division to creep in and disunity and factions are now defining who the church is as people pick different parties to align themselves with against the unity of the kingdom of God. And they, my friends, are in danger in the same way that we are in danger The reasons complex, we'll dive into some of those pieces. It's actually really fascinating to see how they've been shaped by the Roman culture in which they lived, but simply stated, again, they had been influenced by the Roman culture in which they lived, therefore dividing themselves, choosing to divide themselves in factions and parties, losing sight of the kingdom and its preeminence in every area of their lives. They had given away their kingdom vision for a cultural vision divided up by parties and factions. Again, more to come on that in upcoming weeks. They had stopped caring about unity. They had become more cultural than Christian. As Brandon said, it's killing everyone. But it's also specifically killing those who need the church to be a beacon of light, expressing unity and expressing Jesus so they can give their lives to the gospel. Our disunity in the church massively impacts the message of the gospel for those who don't have it. Here we go. Invite a worship team to come forward to end. I invite you to pull out your phones. I'm going to have you take a picture of your homework. You're going to hold each other accountable. I have all of your phone numbers. I'm going to call each of you this week and make sure you've done it. Here's the homework. You can go ahead and put it up there for me. Number one. I want you to ponder and pray into my conviction that the hope of our country lies in the person of Jesus and the United Church. Okay? I want you to ponder and pray into it. I believe it. I've said it. I've shared my opinion. I want you to hear this. I am welcoming you to have a, having a different opinion than me. I'm welcoming you to have a differing opinion. I'm even willing to have a conversation about it, knowing that we are united And the common theme that Jesus is Lord, the gospel is preeminent, and everyone needs the kingdom of God to be manifest through us, right? Focusing on the majors. Number two, slowly read. Everybody say slowly. Slowly read and then meditate on the prayer of Jesus from John 17, and do it at least three times. Especially focus on the part that was meant for you. Twenty-one, twenty, I think like twenty-five or twenty-six. Meditate, all that means is this. You put the words out there, you read them, and then you and Jesus, like with his arm around you, says, let's just think about these words for a minute and meditate and focus on them until they actually begin to shape us and shift us into who God wants us to be. Meditation is not a bad word. It's a biblical word where we look at the things that Jesus cares about so long it changes us into how Jesus thinks about them. Okay? Number three. Just be honest with yourself. How important is it to you to fight for unity in the body of Christ? Do you think about it very often? Do you live your life gauged by those statements that I made that kind of, that I live by as it relates to unity and relationships with people? And if not, just say, oh God, yeah, would you awaken this conviction? That's what I'm looking for. I can speak till I'm blue in the face about theology, but if you've ever been awake, listen, I can speak all day long, so I'm blue in the face about theology, but if you don't have a conviction that it's important, it won't mean anything to you. Number four, look at First 1 Corinthians 1.10. Or excuse me, looking at 1 Corinthians 1.10. How do you think culture has negatively divided us into factions and parties and kept us going from going kept us from going after unity as a primary call? Just take a picture of it and look at it. Basically, how how has culture negatively impacted our unity and brought about disunity? I'm going to throw out one of the things that was on my list of ten that I created, excuse my list of eight that I created in 30 seconds, okay? I'm about to name something that is not a political statement. In fact, it has nothing to do with politics. Two years ago, you never would have thought about this, it being anything that would be brought up into a political conversation whatsoever, but somehow things have changed and it's crazy because it's not political. It's just a mask, right? They're all sorts of different colors. They have like team logos on them now, right? They're not political whatsoever. They're just masks. And so I wonder in the context of masks, there's a question I asked myself and I asked it in front of Jesus, huh? I wonder if Jesus thinks it's okay with people separating from other believers because of a mask. I wonder if Jesus is okay with people separating themselves from an entire body of believers over a mask, which is not eternal, has nothing to do with salvation, and that I don't think Jesus really thinks about very much. This is my personal opinion. You're more than welcome to differ. And I just look at it and go, I wonder if Jesus is okay with, let's just say, 10% of congregations separating themselves from people they've been in relationship with, sometimes for 20 years, over a mask. Hmm. That's a tough one, Jesus. I'm just throwing out a hypothesis. Of things that you have to look at First Corinthians 10 and name specific things that right now are separating believers from other believers, and they're putting themselves in certain parties in different factions. You get your mass faction and your no mass faction over here, and they're at odds with one another and can't even do life together. Do you find Jesus in that? It's just my opinion, some of you obviously have your own. These are things you're praying into and, and talking to Jesus about very specific things. All right, bring the lights down. Here goes our prayer time this morning. Ministry teams, you can go ahead and come forward. We have communion available right here. We have the common cup where you come and take our gluten-free wafers for you gluten-free people. That should taste pretty good. Stick them into the juice and take communion. Or if you're this is COVID-aware, then you're more than welcome to take the little uh, little little juice things we have right here, whatever they're called, and you just grab those, take them back to your chair, communion cups, and you can take those and do as you please. Again, there's so much grace and that's as long as you I just want you to take communion. Here's what I want to pray. We've got two things happening for prayer. Number one, prayer. We want to pray, Listen, we want to pray for those of you who have suffered abuse and pain from churches and other believers, and because of it, disunity has hurt you. Like, you literally have these open wounds because of disunity, because of spiritual abuse, because of sin against you in the name of Jesus. God hurts for you. He wants to heal you. He wants to release you from the pain of that, from the tentacles of that, and set you free. We also want to pray for anything else going on in your life. You need healing in or breakthrough and whatever it may be. That's just a specific thing I felt this morning God wants to pray into. The second thing, and hear this to all of my friends out here, hear this, who are unbelievers. You're not a follower of Jesus. I just want to say, I want to say on behalf of Jesus, on behalf of the church, I'm sorry. I'm authentically sorry for the way that we of the church have misrepresented Jesus. That's on us. Jesus is amazing. Jesus is kind. Jesus is loving. Jesus is for you. Jesus has plans and purposes for your life. Jesus wants to be in relationship with you.
1: That's why he came
0: to earth. That's, the good. That's what we call the good news. Jesus came to earth so people like you and me who were naturally separated from him because of sin or disobedience in our life, well, he came and died, washed those those things away. If you just simply believe that he is good and kind and loving, he died for you, he wants to live with you for eternity. But I'm sorry the church has misrepresented him so bad and made him look like somebody he's not. That's on us, and we apologize. If you'd like to know him this morning, I'll be sitting in the front row. I'd just love to introduce you to Jesus, talk to you about it, see where it goes. So, Jesus, we do pray this morning as we do now come into this time of worship and prayer, and that God, you, and you would just do you, that you would lead people, direct people, that you would convict them of what's true and what's false. We pray for healing this morning. Salvation. I pray God you'd cause us to die, just disunity and give ourselves to unity.